Yeah, we are looking at the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> and um, just a, a quick recap, our, um, our understanding is that when, when Paul would write these letters, it would be to the church in Ephesus, right? And at the time, Ephesus is a major city in Roman-occupied Asia. Because it's a, uh, an Asian city uh, under Roman rule, the, the city is primarily Gentiles or non-Jews, right? And the Gentiles have received an unprecedented access to the Lord through Christ's resurrection and death, or his death on the cross and his resurrection. And we see Paul address the Gentiles specifically over and over uh, again in here. And, and that's because the, the, a lot of what he's saying to them, they're not used to. They, they didn't have access to the, the books and the teaching. Um, the, there was a, uh, at the, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, there was a court of the Gentiles, but it was outside. It wasn't into the Holy of Holies. And in, in our 2020 COVID culture, cancel culture, um, <clears throat> what, what, what kinds of things have we experienced this year? We've, we've seen racial injustice. We've seen, you know, a lot of stuff brought up about gender inequality. We, we've been hearing stories about adults taking advantage of children with these sex trafficking rings. That's a lot of clashing of cultures, right? With specific groups and specific groups. We've got an election coming up. And my goodness, could, could the Lord come between now and November 3rd? That would not be a bad plan. Let's be praying for, <laughs> for that. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things that, that Paul addresses is, and one of the things that, that we wrestle with, is identity, right? Whether it's religious or political or racial or generational or gender, we love identifying each other. Nick, is it okay if I share your story about the girl that was that you were talking with? Sure. Okay. So <clears throat> Nick heard somebody sneeze at work and he said, I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And somebody heard the name Jesus from a different room and came in and said, Who's bad mouthing Jesus? Well, so Nick had an opportunity to, to say, I'm not no one's bad mouthing Jesus. I'm I, my dad's a pastor. And and what happens a lot when um, people find out about you know that you're you know religious they want to they want to understand they, they okay what box do you fit in right well what kind of church what kind of Christian and um, as humans we want to know what to expect and it makes it easy for us to decide 
what we're going to expect from someone else when we identify them, and but by our standards, right? What's my definition of X, Y, Z? Uh, we can be totally wrong, but it doesn't matter, right? I see or meet a person and I identify them as a conservative, a liberal, uh, a politician, a Christian, or a Jew, or a Gen X, or a boomer, or however many other labels I want to work with, and I immediately apply all of these stereotypes that match my definition of their identity, because it's easy. It's easier than being in relationship. It's faster than listening <laughs> and getting to know somebody. And we can, th that might be a different sermon. Uh, uh, but today, there is an identity that is really beneficial for us to know. And that is our own. Who are we? What are we? Right? And, and there's what we see, and then there's what God sees. And what does he say that our identity is? And we're going to be touching on that as we look through Ephesians chapter 2. Lord Jesus, we just ask you to come in your presence and your power to unlock in our minds and our hearts the truth of who you say that we are. Amen. All right, so if you were you know, here with us or, or were part of our service last week, at the end of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays for this church in Ephesus to receive knowledge and understanding about God and the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. And I, I saw this, so... At the end of chapter one, he talks about the resurrection life of Christ, how now God has put him in authority over all things. And as we get into chapter two, at the beginning, he's talking about the resurrection life of believers. So we're going to start with um, our past, because that's part of our identity. So here we go. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Once we were dead because, I'm sorry, once you were dead. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And then, chapter 4, or chapter 2, verse 4, if you've got your Bibles open, you've got the two most beautiful segue words in the whole of Scripture, but God. So there's our past. And now we go into this, this resurrection of the believer. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much 
that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. It's nothing we did. It is all about Jesus. And now we get into, so first, what we were, what we did, and then what God did for us, and now our identity. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I think part of the temptation to identify others is an opportunity for us to be self-righteous and to judge their actions. But what does the Bible say? You can't take credit for this. It's a gift. Salvation is not a reward for good things you've done. None of us can boast about it. I remember I was teaching like fourth graders at a church and I asked them, how do you get to heaven? And this little girl who had been a part of the church for many years and I knew, there, knew her, her family, she says, I think the good things we do are weighed against the bad things we do and when we do more good things than bad, then, then we get into heaven. What does Paul say about that? Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done, so none of us can boast about it. Sorry. (laughs) It really is all about Jesus. So, and and here's here's part of the, the incredible thing that sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our, our, our minds around The new life he gives us is not a thing apart. Here's your salvation now. See you when you die. It's not like that. It is a participation in Christ's life. The believer's new life is a share in Christ's risen life and also in his reign in the heavenlies. Because of our being united with Christ, Paul says we are positionally already in heaven. Salvation is a gift, and we are God's masterpiece. 
And I, I always love, love this verse. <clears throat> we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. One of the things that we talked about last week is God's got a plan. And his plan includes good things for us to do. That's exciting. All right, we're going to keep going. And now we're going to go, we're going to look at uh, 11 through about 18, where, <clears throat> so we talked about our past. We talked about what God did. We talked about our, our new identity. And now Paul's talking about, we go, we go from separation from God, that's our past, to restoration, that's what God did, and now to unification. And it, yes, it is with Christ, but there's, there's, but wait, there's more. Don't forget, here we go, we're talking about Gentiles, uh, 2 verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. <laughs> One of the things that we are dealing with is, you know, is these masks, right? And this isn't a sign of virtue necessarily. Just because you wear a wear a mask doesn't mean you're kind or 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 you're holy or you're going to heaven. It, it I mean, it's like the circumcision that that uh, Paul is talking about. It affected only their outside and not their hearts. All right, we'll keep going. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God made to you, made to them. Oh, sorry, let me read that again. In those days, you Gentiles were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body, on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separates us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility to each other was put to death. Praise the Lord. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. And now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. 
So just like today, the church in Ephesus faced cultural conflicts and the church of Jesus Christ in Ephesus was a symbol of unity between Jews and Gentiles under Christ. And we talked about this a little bit last week, how, how for the Jews, it must have been uh, a tough pill to swallow that they had always been closer to God. And now these pagan heathens can waltz right in here. I think that's one of the reasons why Paul would write <laughs> these letters. You know, we got we to gotta address this stuff. We got to address this stuff. But there is, I mean, and I think I, I, maybe it's later on. Oh, no, here we go. So, <clears throat> Jews and Gentiles, he brought peace to us. And who else, right? When we look at the Revelation, the images of heaven are every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Galatians 3.28 says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no boomer. There's no Gen Xer. There's no... <laughs> there's no Green Party. There's no Libertarian... I know I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Oh, so one of the things that um, got mentioned in, in my um, study books was that this wall of, what, how does, where does he put it? Tore down the wall of, broke down the wall of hostility that separates us. And some of them were talking about that temple imagery where the, the wall between the temple or the court of the Gentiles and the inner court was torn down. And I, I read that um, somebody said the use of the wall metaphor is likely a simple reference to the idea of a city wall, which divided those who live in the city, the, the citizens, and those outside, the foreigners. So... <clears throat> Let's jump into the last, uh, last, yeah, last little section here, where Paul talks about more on this corporate identity in Christ, starting in verse nineteen. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners; you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Why do you think Paul is addressing the Gentiles over and over and over? 
I'm going to say it's because that identity can be really ingrained. It, it can have roots that go deep, 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 deep. And it can influence how we think, which influences how we act. And his encouragement over and over, his uh, speaking you know, truth over them over and over. Let me just read that again. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens among, uh, along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Mm. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So in the last two chapters, we've, we've seen Paul talk about the church as unified, unified with Christ. He uses images like a head and a body, right? Where Jesus is the head and the church is his body. And, um, you know, the body gets its direction and, you know, everything from, from the head. And then he's also talking about being, the church is being built together as a building with Christ as the cornerstone and I, I did a little, you know, Googling, and I found this. And this was, this was a, like a, a, an architectural or an engineering blog. It wasn't uh, biblical. It says this, historically, the cornerstone was the first stone set during the building process. Careful measurements were taken to ensure the cornerstone was square, to ensure the proper alignment of the remainder of the building. And that brings me right back to verse 21. We are carefully joined together in him. He is the cornerstone and we're carefully built together in him. We, as the body of Christ, whether it's the Omaha Vineyard Church or Candlewood, you know, right, you know, catty corner from us, or the Vineyard Nation, you know, globally, or, or, or all believers globally, we are his house, his holy temple. We are a dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So, what do we do with that, right? Let me ask you, what identities have you had put on you by others? Some may be wonderful, son, daughter. I was looking at my son when I said daughter. <laughs> I, I know I looked at somebody else. <clears throat> Let's get back on track here. Um, 
Other wonderful things could be father, mother, leader, friend. These are identities. And some carry some baggage. And some are just plain lies. Who do you want to be identified by? Yourself? People that don't know you and you probably don't like anyway? What about God? How does God see you? In college, I picked up a book called The Bondage Breaker by Neil Anderson. And for me, it was one of those course-changing um, books for me. In, in that book, he gathered all of the references to believers. And he listed them out. He's like, read these and, and start ingesting them as how God sees you. And it was, you know, words like saint, you know, and righteous. So <laughs> I went through Ephesians chapter 1. Just chapter one. I, I got so many. I, I was going to go one, one and two, but I got so many. I, I just had to stop. So these are the, the identifiers that God says through Paul to you, if you follow Jesus. This is your identity. Holy. Faithful follower of Christ Jesus. Blessed. Loved chosen without fault in his eyes adopted into his family free forgiven showered with kindness all wisdom and understanding united with Christ saved by God given the Holy Spirit Purchased as his own people, made full and complete by Christ. That's 23 verses. What kind of impact does this make on you when you think about who you are? What impact does it make when you interact with others? How does your identity Define your walk, your lifestyle, your thoughts and actions. If God's not a liar, and this is what he says about you, do we, do we trust it? Do we trust him when he says to us, you have no fault in his eyes? <sighs> Jesus says in John 8, 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I encourage you, when you read the Bible, read it as a letter from God to you. And when he talks about you, let that truth unroot those other identities that you've been accepting and have been put on you. 
And so what about us as a church? Paul is talking to individuals, and he's also talking about, you know, the, the corporate church. What are we? Who are we? We've seen Christ as the head, and we as the church are his body. The body takes direction from and operates by the will of the head. The vision that God has given to this church for this time is that we are a diverse and unified church for our city. I remember when when we were talking about that vision, trying to boil it down to a couple of words, we kept like, well, it's it's like unified, but we want to use this other word. It's like diverse, but we want to use this other word. I don't like, why are we, you know, dancing around? <laughs> why don't we just, you know, throw those two punches? And, but, wow, in the days that we're living in, could there be a better testimony to the grace and mercy and power of God than to be able to show our city that yes, we are diverse with people from different backgrounds, from all over the corners of the city of Omaha and surrounding communities. We've got different backgrounds, different ways of living raising our kids, different ideas about different things. But Jesus unifies us. We lay down our differences to become like him. We choose to be identified not by our color or our gender or our affiliations, but we choose to identify with Christ Jesus. We represent Jesus and we're conformed to him. Well, that's what I've got. <laughs> uh, what, I, what we always want to do is make time for ministry time. Does anyone have a word, whether it's in person here or via chat or over on uh, Facebook? What's up, girl? Oh. So while, while folks are thinking about it, Ephesians 2.22 says, We are being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And we believe that God wants to and does speak to us by his spirit that lives in us. So before we conclude, does anyone have a word or a scripture or an encouragement that would be from the Lord for our whole body this morning? Mm. To live without fear. I, I, I found out uh, that in the Bible, it's like over 150 times that Scripture says, do not fear. Have no fear. And, and in most cases, 
it's coupled with or followed by, for the Lord is with you. That's good. Yeah. Like, I was just like, well, all we can do is have faith in the situation, no matter how long it takes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that, Carl, that's a really good point. Um, she said that the, or did they catch that? They caught a little bit. She said that when, when COVID hit and the city was going to get, you know, shut down or whatever implements were going to occur, The Lord impressed on her, I don't necessarily need to be afraid. I'm going to trust. And whether that's our city leaders um, or, or and <laughs> the Lord. And, and don't we need faith? And don't, because fear likes to creep in. Like I said before, we like to, we like to have an expectation of, of what's going to happen. We like to know what to expect. And if we think, oh, it's going to you know, be, what they say, 15 days, right? Two weeks to, to flatten the curve, and we're six and a half months in. Um, after so much time, fear can creep in, can't it? But I mean, we've already seen the fruits of God's labor. Yeah. Something like that. We were already shut down and completely out of crosswinds when that happened. Yeah. So we've already seen the fruits of God's action because of this. Yeah. He has absolutely been taking good care of us. We didn't have to worry about our stuff being in the Crossroads Mall, which was at the epicenter of the the protests and, and you know riots that occurred in Omaha because we were already out and we were in the bay next door and this one was you know set up as a nail salon and the owners generously built this all out for us at no cost to us praise the lord and for all of those months when we didn't have a space ready to jump into, we weren't paying thousands of dollars in rent for storage. <laughs> God is so good. Well, I mean, just like sending me to school. He, he told me to wait, and then he was like, now's the time, and now I have a degree that allows us to do this. Yeah, yeah. What, what is that? Uh, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. He is a generous father. Mm, thank you. Thanks for those words. If you've got others that, that um, you think might be for the Lord, but uh, it's, I don't know, too risky to share it here, feel free to send it to us via Facebook or, or uh, via email or whatever. Uh, but let me go ahead and pronounce our blessing. And then if anyone here wants prayer or, or out there wants prayer, we'll take some time to do that. So let me pronounce this over us. This is from Numbers chapter 6, 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. 